Welcome to the award-winning Doing Customer Experience Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, a professional global speaker and CX expert. This show is about action over theory, focusing on applying proven strategies to deepen customer relationships and increase loyalty as your competitive advantage. Besides achieving better human and business outcomes, each episode aims to elevate your professional and personal growth too. To continue learning, please subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com. Today, I'm thrilled to have Daniel Goleman with us, a renowned psychologist and best-selling author known for pioneering the concept of emotional intelligence that has revolutionized the way we think about human behavior in and out of the workplace. We're diving into a pivotal aspect that's often overlooked in businesses, which is understanding and harnessing the power of emotions to foster a healthier work environment and create exceptional customer experiences. You're going to hear valuable insights on building workplace culture where employees feel comfortable expressing themselves and the significant role emotional intelligence plays in customer interactions. Plus, you'll hear practical advice on nurturing these essential skills within your teams. Want to know how you can create genuine connections and encourage a culture of empathy? and how your company's emotional pulse can make or break customer loyalty? Then continue listening for answers to these questions and much more. Now, let's get started. Hello, Daniel Goleman. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. It's a pleasure to be here, Stacey. Thank you for having me. I don't know if you could see my energy, but I feel so alive being in the room with you. And I'm so excited to talk about your new book and tap into your wisdom so that so many people will be able to benefit. But let's start with who are you? What do you do professionally? So uh, by training, I'm a clinical psychologist. I have a PhD in psychology from Harvard, but I went into science journalism. I was at the New York Times for many years. And then I wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, which introduced the concept to the world. Uh, and once I wrote that, I, that became my career. And uh, I talked to companies and business organizations and uh, write about it. And my new book is Optimal. It's my most recent thoughts about emotional intelligence, and I think it has very direct implications for customer service. Oh, I can't wait to get started. So before we get into the meat of this, I want people to get to know you, Daniel. What is a fun fact that people might not know? Well, people might not know that I'm actually from a farm town in California, And people might not know that I've traveled to Nepal and India to study with meditation teachers. Uh, Those are kind of rarefied facts because I'm mostly known for my emotional intelligence work. Mm, We can spend an hour just on that topic alone. You'll have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, one of the things that I like to ask everyone on my show Mm -hmm. over 100 episodes is reflection of the past based on what you know now that you didn't know then. Mm. What would you tell 
younger Daniel, 20-year-old Daniel today, what would you tell him that you didn't know? You know, I think that it would be the importance of listening to people, not just thinking about what you're going to say, but what they're saying and uh, listening it out and then being sure you understand and then saying what you want. It's a simple thing, but you know, it's like the common cold of uh, business and customer relations is not really understanding or empathizing with the under person, other person. I think it's really important. Mm. So with that in mind, let's shift to doing customer experience right. Sure. What does that mean to you? You know, let me tell you a story. I was in a very fancy deli in the Upper East Side of New York. And um, I was coming down with a cold and my wife ordered chicken soup. And when they brought it, I thought, oh, maybe that would help me. So I said to the waiter, uh, could I have an empty bowl? I want to show my wife soup. <laughs> the waiter looked at me like I crawled out from under a rock. He was just disgusted. And he stomped off and kind of flung a bowl in front of me. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to give this guy a tip. And I'm not coming back to this restaurant. In other words, in a customer experience, how you feel in every encounter is not just how you feel about the person you had the encounter with, but about the company. But later, toward the end of the meal, I stopped another waiter and I said, uh, what teas do you have? And he looked at me, really looked at me. And he said, you look like you're coming down with a cold. So let me tell you what my mom used to recommend for me. And then he went through a litany of like herbal teas. And I thought, okay, this guy gets the tip and I'm coming back to this restaurant. And it was because... I felt his warmth. I felt his caring. And I think in the customer experience, that makes all the difference. And in Optimal, the new book, uh, I talked about research that was done at Harvard Business School about people having a good day, what, they, what it's like to feel good at work, to be productive, to be happy, to be satisfied, to connect with people. And it occurred to me that is the essence of a positive customer experience because emotions are contagious. That's the way the brain is designed. You know, when you're with another person or you're talking to another person, there's a kind of silent, automatic brain-to-brain -brain connection that transmits emotions. And if someone is in an upbeat state, in a warm state, in a, you know, a kind of exuberant or even just feeling good, you catch that feeling. And that is the essence of the customer experience. I don't care if you recommended something I'm happy with. It's how I felt in the interaction that makes all the difference. Oh, such a good story. I want to unpack that for a second. So you're at the restaurant and sure. that initial waiter did not deliver a good experience. And in fact, you said you would not go back, nor would you give anything above the pay, the, the cost of the bill because of the way that he, he or she handled he. Uh, yeah. he. Okay. Now, what's really interesting about that point, and I want people to really, really take this home, is that that one individual represented the brand. That one person, it wasn't the food, it wasn't the location, it could have been a beautiful place. One person and how they make or break 
the whole experience for you to come back or not. I, I would right? say, that, yes, how the, how the customer feels at the end of the interaction with the person is how they feel about the brand. It's very important for leaders to understand this, for everyone to understand it. But the emotions count very much. In fact, sometimes they're the whole thing. Yeah. And look at when you are basically done with that restaurant, but then here comes another person who then is actually caring and the complete opposite. And now you're like, all right, I'm more forgiving now. Well, that's customer experience. The second waiter was warm, empathic. He tuned into me. He cared. And all of that made a huge difference for how I felt at the end of my meal. And so, so I had a positive experience with not just him, but with the restaurant, with the brand, if you will. Yes. So where does Optimal come into play from these two waiters? Sure. How would you describe? So I would think that, you know, the first waiter was having a bad day, perhaps. I don't know. I assume he was uh, pressured, harried, hassled. I don't know what. He might have been that way with all of his customers. I don't know. I know I got it. But the second waiter handled the same pressures, the same whatever stresses a waiter is under in a restaurant like that. He handled it beautifully. He was in a positive, upbeat state. And what I'm saying is the research shows that it's a choice. You can be very upbeat, you can be warm, you can be tuned in, or you can be cold. You can do just barely enough to fulfill the obligations of your position, but you're not paying attention to the customer. And that is crucial for the brand. Absolutely. So now, how do businesses and leaders listening right now, how do they get that second waiter? How do they create and sustain yeah. that optimal performance? Is it training? Is it EQ that they already have? Yeah. How so, do you get more of them? I mentioned that emotions are contagious. They're most contagious yes. from leaders outward. This is, there's very good research at Yale that uh, established this that shows that if a, a leader is in a, a down mood, uh, angry, frustrated, whatever, people who work for that leader catch the mood and they treat other people that way. So it's a ripple effect. If a leader is in an upbeat, good mood, you know, they communicate that to their team and then the team communicates that outward. To, to customers eventually, however they interact. So I would say leaders need to lead themselves first. And I've, I've always said this. This mm. is part of the emotional intelligence model. There are four parts. The first two are self-awareness and using that awareness to manage your emo own emotions. Uh, you know, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're anxious, to calm down, to be resilient, to recover, mm. uh, to be positive, to be upbeat. To communicate that, the second part is empathy and relationships. That's leading other people, but it starts with yourself. But if you yourself have your emotional world under control or managing it well, you'll communicate to your people 
uh, that emotion. It happens automatically. It happens whatever the interaction, because you're in that mood and they know, the, their brains know it. They catch it. And then they communicate that to the people they interact with. So mm. uh, it starts with the leader. Absolutely. So let's talk about that a bit further in the contact center space and customer service. We know that agents who are chat and on the phone with customers, mm-hmm. they are under, they're undervalued. There's high attrition. Sure. So what can leaders do to actually make them feel more valued? There's got to be a reason that the high attrition rate is everywhere. It's not just one company. So how can they use Optimal and your whole mindset and research to shift that? So first, you have to distinguish between, you know, Reinhold Lieber's serenity prayer, tell what you can change and change Mm. it. And if you can't change it, then adapt to it. And uh, the question is, can you pay them more? Can you give them perks? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But whatever the constraints are, how are you treating them? How are you relating to the people who are your customer interface? This is a big question. Do you value them? Do you care about them? Uh, Do you let them know that? So it's the how of leadership, not the what. Mm. I think also it's about empowering them because when... In your case with the restaurant, now this isn't customer service, mm-hmm. but you know that waiter with the tea bags was empowered to actually be helpful, to give you the support and not have to run to that next table. Yes. And you know, to go back to the, the situation of someone who's maybe typing on a phone and they get call after call. I've talked to so many of those people. And you have too. Everybody has. And there is such a difference in how you feel because of tone of voice. Tone of voice carries lots of emotional information. So is the person patient, warm? Do they care about you? Are they businesslike, brusque? It makes a big difference in how you feel at the end of that interaction, which, as I said before, is how you feel about the brand. So if a leader cares about customers and customer service, they, I think, would do well to pay attention to the emotional intelligence level of their leadership, which means being intelligent about emotion, letting people know you care about them, that they matter, that they're making a difference, that they're valued. They're very valuable. Uh, I'm thinking now of a, a business case um, the uh, progressive, people know it as progressive insurance, now called progressive. You know, uh, they did an advertising campaign that became very famous with a, a woman representing progressive. During that time, their business just prospered incredibly. They went from a very low share value to very high. Uh, they got many, many more customers. And I think the secret ingredient there was a guy named John Murphy. He was the head of their CRM, customer customer relations manager. He was the C-suite guy in charge of that. And he cared about his people, and his people were the agents who interfaced with their customers. So basically what he was doing was letting them know that he cared about them, he valued them. And 
they transmitted that to their customers. And I think it helped that company enormously. He said, emotional intelligence is what makes the difference here. We're in a relationship business. And I think anyone who deals with the public in their business is in a relationship business, whether they realize it or not. And so paying attention to that element matters enormously and it matters from the top down and it ripples out. Okay, so we are talking about human behavior. We're talking about what we learned in kindergarten. (laughs) Be nice, be kind, share. (laughs) Like everything I learned in kindergarten. So why... Why is it that we are continuing to have this dialogue that it's it's not at the forefront of what everybody's doing in and out of business? Why are we having this conversation? What's the block in your well, mind? You know, uh, you went to kindergarten and you heard these things and maybe you heard them all the way through elementary school and beyond, but you heard other things too. You heard that how you do on the test matters. And whether you're uh, like the number one kid in the class or not matters. So we learn to be very competitive. And frankly, business, understandably, is very competitive. And uh, people in business think that many different things matter for beating the competition. So lots of uh, leaders, for example, will pressure their people to do well because they want to hit the numbers for the quarter but they don't pay attention to how they're getting the numbers. Because if they Mm. uh, stress people out, if they burn them out, people are likely to quit. A lot of people say, I left because I couldn't stand my boss, not because I couldn't stand the company. And many talented people will be the first to leave because they can. And so if you're only stressing people out to hit the numbers, you're hollowing out the human capital in the company which in the long run is self-defeating. In the short term, it may make you look good, but it's better if you inspire people. It's better if you let them know you care than just berating them because they are or aren't hitting the numbers. Mm. Speaking of numbers, we know that businesses attach to the net promoter score, NPS, and there's other metrics as well. How do you recommend organizations actually measure the performance, the optimal performance, and identify those improvements? What's your recommendation? Yeah, so there are indirect measures that are already in place. For example, there's the annual Gallup poll of engagement. We know that emotional intelligence correlates with engagement, job satisfaction, lower turnover, Uh, Many of the metrics companies already use indirectly are tapping into this level. And so I would say pay attention to those too, because those numbers count. And they count in terms of whether or not you're leading in a way which is uh, going to result in the best customer engagement. Mm. Is there anything else that comes to your mind in terms of not just focusing on Uh, the profit and loss? I think you can take the concept of profit and loss and translate it to uh, the human condition at your place of business. Uh, is Is it a plus or is it a negative for people? That's an important question. 
And one of the mm. best ways to find out is to ask them one way or another. You know, I'm smiling around just ask them because yeah. it's so simple. And yet people are looking for such complicated solutions. And it's literally just pick up the phone <laughs> or, or walk over yeah. to somebody and ask them. Hey, there's, a, there's a caveat. I am not going to tell my okay. boss, my direct boss, that I'm really unhappy here and I'm unhappy with that boss. I'm not going to say that. However, you can ask people anonymously. Surveys are very good at that, where uh, they're actually able to respond anonymously. That gives you a gauge of the pulse, the emotional pulse of the workplace. You're not going to get it by asking people directly because they're scared of you. Yes, and... In my corporate life for over yeah. 25 years and the teams yeah. that I had, I, I worked damn hard to make it a speak up culture. And, you know, I think leaders can do that. I think leaders can say, you know what? If you're struggling, I want to sit down with you. I want to hear it. We could fix something. There's always a solution, but I want to hear from you what's important to you. You're right. There's fear. <laughs> No, yeah. I think that that is a very positive way to engage people because you're reassuring them that this isn't about uh, the security of their position. This is information you want to help you lead better and you appreciate their yeah. candor. So you're creating a different norm, different ground rules. It, however, many leaders and many bosses only do like a yearly performance review and they focus on what's wrong. Mm. They criticize. They don't see what's right. And that's very demoralizing. So I think your approach is much, much better, Stacey. Oh, well, I hope people listening who have direct reports realize that this is not hard. This doesn't require an AI. <laughs> this is being human. That's so true. That's right. You know, so speaking of AI and emerging technology, do you talk about that in your book around optimal performance? Where does the human and the technology blend from your perspective? That's a very complex question, which I unfortunately I don't address directly in the book. But I think that mm -hmm. we don't know the answer yet. It's it's I, I'm kind mm -hmm. of waiting and seeing. I'm gonna this is probably what I'll write about next, actually. But I think mm. that it's too early to say. Yeah. You know, that's a true leadership answer. Because how often people are afraid to say, I don't know. And that's the truth. We all don't know. No. People claim that they're experts. But you know what? We are in a whole new journey. Buckle our seatbelt. And I love your answer. Let's wait and see. <laughs> That's all. I don't know right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in that same boat. So when you work with companies, what are you looking at in terms of identifying where it's not optimal? People listening, where do they start to find the gaps? Well, I think you can start with the metrics you have already. You know, what mm. does your organization look like or look at rather in terms of how do employees feel when they come to work? 
are they engaged? Are they committed? Are they satisfied? Uh, are they going to quit? These are important things to know. And they're all signs of whether you're doing it right or not. Mm. The game changer is actually doing something with the data and going back to those members and say, here's what we did because of your feedback. How often that does not happen. (laughs) (laughs) But it should. I agree with you, Stacey. Yes. So this is news to use. It's not just like, oh, well, that's interesting. But rather, if you acknowledge or if you recognize the importance of the emotional reality uh, that you're creating at work, that people are bringing to their uh, interactions with customers, you want to know what's going on. And if it doesn't look good, what can we do that would be better? Mm. I like your idea of creating a kind of culture of candor, caring, and openness uh, where people feel safe. You know, when Google looked at their top teams, they found that a sense of psychological safety, uh, we call it belonging. You know, I belong here, I'm safe here, is essential uh, both to performance and, as you point out, to people being honest about how they're doing. So how do you take these employees of different teams and now, especially let's focus on the front line, how do you teach them or educate them on emotional intelligence to identify the customer is not happy? How do you get them to read the situation better? Is there a tip that you can share? Yeah. Tune into yourself. What's your mood right now? What's your state? Because no matter what no matter what you've been told to do, your tone is going to be determined by your internal emotional state. That's just the way the body works. It's the way the mind works. It's the way the heart works. So first thing is tune into yourself and then empathize with the customer. Tune into the customer. How are they taking how you are, how you're being? And that's over and above what other, uh, you know, specifics of your exchange might be. It's, all, it's very important. It's always there. And I think it's too little noticed. Oh, that is so powerful. Start with ourselves. Exactly. And oh, I'm reading a book uh, my friend recommended called The Body Keeps the Score. Have oh, you yeah, read that? Wondercock. Yeah. Oh, I. it's reminding me of what you're talking about and how we really have to own our experiences before we can give it to anybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well, as we're getting close to the end, I don't want it to end. (laughs) Let me ask you a couple last questions. Sure. Go ahead. Leadership. Leadership, whether it was at Harvard or in a company or a boss that you had, a teacher, what Mm. is the best leadership advice you've ever received? Well, I think it's um, just to be yourself, to be authentic, and to let people know why what you're doing matters. What meaning does it have? What's your sense of purpose? If you can speak from the heart to the heart in a way that resonates with people, it's extremely inspiring. And we have data that shows this creates the most positive climate and people will go 
way beyond the just job description to do their best if they feel that what they're doing matters and resonates with their own sense of purpose. How could even a leader, when they're hiring, test for that? How do you know that you're hiring the right person? Is there a sign? Is there a signal that you've, a trend that you, people can hook onto to detect? Here I'm going to say, uh, I, I don't trust the metrics of hiring because everyone puts on their best face. However, yeah. what you're getting is the best example of that person and how are you feeling? That's one thing that you can tune into. Mm. The other is that um, I don't know that it's possible or necessary to hire for emotional intelligence, but I think you can help people get better at it. You can train for it. And, and we really encourage that. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if I had CEOs and leaders of all different industries in my room right now, what mm. is the one takeaway that you want them to remember from any of your books? I would say that empathy matters. And there are three kinds of empathy. It's which kind you mm-hmm. have. Are you, there's kind of empathy, knowing how people think, knowing the language they use to talk about reality to themselves. You can use that to message them well. That's one kind. A second kind is emotional empathy, where you know how the person feels because you feel it yourself. And then the third kind, Mm. which is all ignored, but I think really matters, is called technically empathic concern, caring about the other person. And for example, in a customer exchange, in the customer experience, it's the customer feeling cared about that makes the big, big difference. It's not just the technical specifics, the price, all of that matters, yes. But does the person who's who you're talking to care about you or not? Are they just trying to sell you to make the sale? Uh, do they want to keep the relationship? Do Because then you'll come back again and again. And that is something I think everyone needs to pay attention to. Hmm. One point of clarification, and uh, someone made me recognize this word, and I want to sure. point it out. There's empathy, and then there's being an empath. Oh. There's a difference. Yeah, so I don't know what you mean by empath. I, I guess it's someone who is super empathic. Is that right? Here's the thing about empathy. It's important to understand that empathy doesn't mean you will do anything that will make the person happy. You've got guardrails, you've got guidelines, but you let them know that within those guidelines, you're concerned about them and you want what's best for them. Uh, But it doesn't mean that you, you know, break the rules of your company to help the person in any case, but rather within that, let them know that you have their back, that you care about them. Mm. I think that the empathy, yes, is that. And I think being an empath is where you actually feel so much like it's happening to you. And there's boundaries that we actually have to put where we need to have people, only a certain number of people should get into the core of your heart. 
not everybody gets the keys so that if somebody else is fired, let's say, you can look at it with empathy and treat them with empathy, but not get crippled yourself as if it's you. That's well put. Thank you. And I've been learning that because there's just a difference and one's healthy and one needs boundaries. That's right. So you need to protect yourself if you're an empath particularly. Uh, and, yes. And be sure that you... Remember, emotional intelligence starts with yourself. You know, there's this concept of self-compassion, which means you don't mm. do things that are harmful for yourself. And an empath might be tempted to do that. Yes. Well, what's next for Daniel? You've got your book. Oh. What else this year is happening? <laughs> you know, I, I lived in India for two years and I met a very wise yogi who once said, you can plan for 100 years, but you don't know what will happen the next moment. So I have to say, I don't know. Ooh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Definitely. That is very powerful. Thank you for sharing that with me and us. And I'm so excited to share this episode with everybody. And I'll put in the show notes where to find you and your new book. And congratulations. Oh, also, Stacy, can you mention my emotional intelligence, uh, Daniel Goldman emotional intelligence online training program? People may be interested in that too. Well, they're listening right now and it'll be in the show notes. And again, congratulations and thank you for the gift of you today. You're very kind. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.